we're looking at the 70 weeks prophecy that covers 70 weeks and it's part two. We looked at part one when we last met a couple of weeks ago. And last time we studied this book, Book of Daniel together, we looked at chapter 9, verse 24, and we saw that as Daniel was praying in sackcloth and ashes for the sins of the people, the Jewish people, and his own sins, God sent the angel Gabriel to tell him about six things that would be accomplished over a period of 70 weeks, where 70 weeks is taken to mean 70 times seven periods of time, or 70 times seven weeks, uh, seven years. If you can do your seven times table, you'll know that 70 weeks, or 70 times seven periods of time, equals 490 periods of time, or 490 years. 70 times seven equals 490. It's, it was seen that without exception, all six accomplishments in verse 24 pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's remind ourselves what was said in verse 24 of chapter 9. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. There's six things there in that verse 24. And Jesus would be the one who would be wounded for the transgressions of all that believe in him. Jesus would himself bear their sins in his own body at the cross. Jesus would reconcile hell-deserving sinners to a holy and righteous God by the blood of his cross. Fourthly, Jesus would remove their filthy rags of self-righteousness and adorn them with his own everlasting righteousness. Number five, Jesus would do all those things in fulfilment of prophecy. And last of all, Jesus would be anointed by God for the great work of redemption. Massive emphasis on it all being about Jesus. And that's how I can, that's how I intend to continue with part two of our look at this 70 weeks of prophecy. It's going to be all about Jesus. Today we'll look at verse 25 through to the end of the chapter. Let's have a look at them now. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem... Unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, 
and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Those verses, they divide up into 70 weeks, or, I really, I hope you get this, I don't want to confuse you with it, 70 weeks, in other words, 70 times 7 periods of time, or 70 times 70 years. Multiple, do you times them together, 70 times 7, 490, 490 periods of time, 490 years. And those three parts are divided up unequally, unequal periods of time. Seven periods of time, 62 periods of time, and last of all, one period of time. All those periods of time, you have to multiply by seven, and it's either periods of time or, or years. Let's see how we go with it. An explanation is given for each of those three unequal parts. Those three unequal parts that add up to 490 periods of time or 490 years altogether. I need to warn you that these verses have been explained in various ways over the years. Therefore, I do not want you to leave here today thinking that what you've heard from me this morning is most definitely the correct explanation. Neither do I want you to leave here feeling frustrated and angry with me because you disagree with what I've been saying. This is prophecy. It's not easy. I don't pretend to find it easy. I've read various commentaries and what I've had to do in the end, reading the commentaries alongside the, the, the scriptures itself, I've come to a conclusion what the most likely explanation is and that's what I'm going to bring to you this morning. But you are free to read it for yourself in your own time and reach your own conclusions. But let's not fall out over this. What I'm going to say this morning seems to make sense in the light of what we've already looked at last time concerning God's far-reaching plan of salvation from sin that extends not only to Jews but to Gentiles. It's a plan that has been wonderfully and everlastingly executed and fulfilled by none other than his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that said, let's uh, have a look at this prophecy. First of all, our verses for today speak of a period of seven weeks and a period of 62 weeks. We're going to look at those two unequal periods of time. As I said, there are three unequal periods of time altogether. First of all, seven weeks, seven times seven, 49 periods of time or 49 years. And secondly, the second period of time is 62 weeks, which translates into 400, 
and 34 years when you multiply by the seven. I'll give you a second or two to think about that. Again, I don't want to confuse you over the maths, but um, it's helpful if we do try and figure this out because really this prophecy came hundreds of years before Jesus came into the world. And providing I've got a, a reasonably accurate understanding of things, it's, it's amazing how this prophecy does all come together, as we shall see. Can you also see in verse 25, let's have a look at verse 25 there. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince. So, first of all there, that 483 years, that's the total of the three unequal periods of time, the whole thing there, what does it start with? It starts with a commandment to restore Jerusalem and build the streets and the walls in troublous times. That's what we've got at the beginning of this period, the the three periods of time. That commandment to restore Jerusalem most likely refers to an order from one or more of the Medo-Persian rulers or kings. The the Medo-Persian rulers, they permitted the Jews to return to Jerusalem to restore the city, to restore the temple. All of that had been destroyed by the Babylonians when the Jews went into Babylonian captivity, but that was now finished, done with. The Medes and the Persians, they've taken over, and they they gave an order to the Jews, go to Jerusalem and rebuild your city. That we see to be the first thing at the beginning of that period of time. You can read for yourselves in the books of Ezra, and Nehemiah about the various decrees that were issued by the Medo-Persian rulers. It's, it's not straightforward. I find it a little bit confusing. There are various orders and trying to put them in some kind of order, it's, it's, it's quite an exercise. It's interesting, but it's not straightforward. Uh, these various orders that were given by the Medo-Persian rulers permitting the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the temple. Note in verse 25 that the 483 years ends with Messiah the Prince. Ends with Messiah the Prince. If those 483 years are literal years, then quite possibly it was the decree that came from King Artaxerxes uh, in about... 446 BC, 446 years before Jesus came into the world, more or less. That would have been when the decree went forth to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple from King Artaxerxes. You can see that in Nehemiah chapter 1, chapter 2. Read it in your own time. And that decree would take us right up to the start of the earthly ministry of Messiah the Prince, according to verse 25 there. Now, who is Messiah the Prince? I've said that prophecy is not, 
not straightforward, is it? But uh, this is easy. It really is. Who do you think Messiah the Prince is? Jesus. 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 That, that's a no-brainer. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, if you haven't already guessed. He is Messiah the Prince. He is the Prince of Peace. Both Christ and Messiah mean the same thing. Messiah is Hebrew. Christ is from the Greek. They both mean the same thing. They both mean anointed. The Son of God was sent into the world by his Father. He was anointed for the work of reconciling sinners to a holy and righteous God. So these first two unequal periods of time start with the decrees going forth from the Medo-Persian rulers, probably King Artaxerxes, all the way to the coming of Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we've got at the moment. Let's have a look at verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. We've got destruction of the... Have I read this right? I have. Destruction of the city and the sanctuary, again in verse 26. Now, this is another destruction of of Jerusalem and the temple. It's not the one that was committed by the Babylonians, We've, we've moved on from that. The decree went forth to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple and then all those years later the Prince of Peace or, or rather um, Messiah the Prince comes into the world we've, and this is where we're at now. And after that period, after it says that in verse 26, after three score and two weeks, so after that time Messiah shall be cut off. And then we see the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple once again. And we're going to be looking a bit closer at that. Out of the 70 weeks that were determined altogether, that's all three uneven periods of time altogether, out of those 70 weeks of what was it I said now? I get I forget it myself now. Seven sevens, thirty-five, four hundred and ninety periods of time altogether, four hundred and ninety years. We've already looked at sixty-nine weeks made up of seven weeks plus sixty-two weeks that are mentioned at the beginning of verse twenty-six. And we've already seen that those sixty-nine weeks, which equates to four hundred and eighty-three years started with the rebuilding of Jerusalem and its temple, culminating in the beginning of the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. According to our verses, that leaves just one more week. That's the third unequal period of time, just one week. And if you've got it by now, times that one by seven, one times seven is seven. That means there's another seven years to go. That's the final period of time, seven years. And there's going to be a lot happening in that final period of time. It's, it, it seems to be the shortest period of time, but there's a lot going on. 
And this would suggest to me that we needn't take the periods of time as always meaning years. Seven periods, seven periods of time doesn't necessarily mean seven exact years. And indeed, for this final period of time, it would seem to me that it's a lot longer than seven years. This, that, that what is finally going to be happening with Messiah being cut off after starting his, uh, his earthly ministry. With that said, the first thing we see in verse 26 is that Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. That statement takes us where? What does it mean to be cut off? What does that conjure up in your mind? Might Messiah... The, 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 uh, the Messiah, the Prince, being cut off, it speaks of the cross, doesn't it? It has to. So, the, you know, even if it, some of the things I'm saying might be, a, a, maybe the, you might want to put a question mark beside them. Let's, let's um, concentrate on the things that we can be agreed on. It's clear. The meaning's so very clear. Messiah, the Prince, the Lord Jesus Christ, it speaks of the temple being rebuilt. The, the Jerusalem being rebuilt, Messiah beginning his earthly ministry, there's no arguments there, and then Messiah being cut off. That takes us to the cross. And that kind of language is used in other prophecies, such as Isaiah 53, verse 8. Isaiah lived about over 700 years before uh, Messiah the Prince came into the world. And this is what... Isaiah said in his prophecy in the book of Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 8 he said he was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation for he was cut off there we go those words again he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken Jesus being cut off for the transgressions, the rebellion against God's law of all those whom he came to save. Understand very clearly that the Lord Jesus Christ was not simply crucified and put to death because wicked men didn't like him, although that most certainly was the case. Wicked men despised him, wicked men rejected him, just as I was saying earlier on today, you can be sure that if Messiah, the Prince, came into Peel today, don't imagine for one second everybody would fall prostrate before him. I've got no reason to imagine it would be any different now. If Messiah, the Prince, came to Peel now, people would despise him, they would reject him, and the reason is because Jesus is light and sinful people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. And what would they want to do if Jesus came now? Bow down before him or kill him all over again? You work that one out for yourself. So he most certainly was despised and rejected by men However, the prophecy of Isaiah speaks very clearly of the Lord Jesus Christ being put to death when he was wounded for the transgressions of all he came to save. 
God's decree seen in the prophecy. Everything that God has decreed before the foundation of the world and we see it written into prophecy and that was being fulfilled at the cross. That doesn't excuse wicked men, by the way. Wicked men do what we did what wicked men do, and they would have to answer for that. But it was according to God's decree. What happened was that when wicked men, such as the religious Jewish council and the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, conspired together and the soldiers nailed Jesus to a wooden cross and they lifted him up to die, prophecy was being fulfilled. It was done according to the foreknowledge of God and his predetermined counsel. Secondly, in verse 26, we see that the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now this is the second destruction of the city and the um, sanctuary. The sanctuary is the temple. That's not when, that's not in the Babylonian times. This is another time now when Messiah, after Messiah has been cut off. So the prince there, the prince is not the Messiah the prince. Don't confuse the prince in verse 26 with Messiah the Prince or the Lord Jesus Christ. It's another prince altogether and he's not a very nice prince. The prince referred to in verse 26 is the Roman Emperor, not Messiah the Prince. As for the people of the Prince that we see in verse 26, that would be a reference to the Roman legions that were sent by the Roman Emperor and in fulfilment of what is written in verse 26 there, written in verse 26. The history books tell us very clearly that in AD 70, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, including the temple. That's why there's no temple in Jerusalem now. It was destroyed by the Roman legions. Shortly before Messiah the Prince was cut off out of the land of the living, he predicted much the same fate for Jerusalem and its people, uh, its temple rather. As it's written in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. This is what it says in these verses. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? referring to the temple and the city. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. In those verses, the Lord Jesus Christ was predicting the destruction of Jerusalem and its sanctuary or temple. And what can be seen in Daniel chapter 9 verse 26 with the destruction of Jerusalem and the sanctuary by the Roman army was a prediction of the eventual judgment of God upon the Jews. Why? Because they rejected Messiah the Prince. It was God's judgment on Jerusalem or on the people of Jerusalem, the Jews. 
as it is written in John chapter 1 and verse 11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. What an indictment that is on the Jewish people. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But make no mistake about it. Don't just think, think about those silly, foolish, sinful Jews of old rejecting the Messiah, the Prince, as I've already said. If Jesus was to come into Peel today, it would be much the same thing. Make no mistake about it. To reject the Lord Jesus Christ is a very serious matter. We've seen it in history with the Jews. The judgment of God upon the Jews. It's very clear from what happened to the Jews in AD 70. And even now, the wrath of God abides on each one of you in here. If you have rejected Messiah the Prince, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are not trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, even now the wrath of God abides on you. And I would not want to be in your shoes. Let's have a look at verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. This is that final period of time again. After he's been cut off, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. That last verse is probably the most difficult of the lot, I think, really. For me, it was anyway. But anyway, during that final period of time, described as one week or seven years, the gospel of Christ was proclaimed primarily, or in the first instance, to the Jews. Before and after his sacrificial death, before Jesus was crucified, the gospel went out to the Jews, And initially, after the death of Jesus, after he'd been cut off, still the gospel message went out to the Jews in the first instance. Furthermore, the gospel will continue to be proclaimed to both Jews and Gentiles now. It will continue to be proclaimed to the end of the world. In other words, until the very last person who has been chosen for salvation, has repented and received Jesus as his saviour from sin, his or her saviour from sin. That message will continue to go forth. That gospel message which reveals the righteousness of God. Then, when that last person who has been chosen before the foundation of the world finally comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, having repented of his or her sins. Then Jesus will come again in judgment and he will bring this present world to an end. I don't know, I'm sorry, no, I'm not sorry to say this at all. I can't wait for that day. I really can't wait for it. 
As for that decree to restore Jerusalem and the temple, all those years earlier, at the very beginning of the 70 weeks or the 490 years, that paved the way for the coming of Messiah the Prince. That When that decree went forth from uh, King Artaxerxes and the other Medo-Persian kings, there was a reason for that. It paved the way for Jesus to come into the world in God's time. To come to Jerusalem and uh, as, as we read that he did in, in our Bibles. And he came in God's perfect time. However, the self-sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and his completed work of redemption marked the end of temple worship. Again, it's no longer needed anymore. Once the Lord Jesus Christ was cut off for the transgressions of his people, there's no need for that temple anymore with all the animal sacrifices. No need whatsoever. Those things are now obsolete and they have vanished away. So, as I've already said, AD 70... The Roman legions came and they flattened the place, including the temple. But again, looking at it from a different angle, they'd served their purpose. They were finished, obsolete, vanishing away, redundant. Even so, there are more than a few people who seem to imagine that when Messiah the Prince comes again, he will restore temple worship in Jerusalem for a period of a thousand years. For me, the very thought of Jesus restoring temple worship in Jerusalem for any length of time, whether it be a thousand years or a thousand seconds, and people once again offering animal sacrifices, when all of those things were pointing to Jesus and fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's ridiculous to say the very least. The very notion of restoring temple sacrifices. Let me say again that all of those sacrifices pointed to Jesus and so too did the temple point to Jesus. They have served their purpose. They're gone. Jesus is their fulfilment and what remains is for you to know where you figure in God's plan. This is what is important now. Your worship must be done in the beauty of holiness. Jesus is the beauty of holiness. As such, your worship must be in Christ. Not in some temple made with human hands, but in Christ. That is how you are to worship God, in the Lord Jesus Christ, Messiah the Prince. Is he your temple Your answer to that question depends upon your answer to the following question. When Messiah the Prince was cut off from the land of the living, did he lay down his life for your sins? And finally, make no mistake about it, Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, it will not be for the purpose of officiating as high priest in a restored earthly temple in Jerusalem, watching priests, making sacrifices that all point to him as the fulfilment of all those things, 
Can you see how ridiculous that is? To say the very least. Rather, he will come in judgment and he will usher in a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. What remains until that day dawns is for each one of you to repent and to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ made an end of your sins at Calvary's cross and for you to know him as the God of your salvation. Amen.